All right, well, blessings again to all of you. Our series, Growing Through Adversity, we've been sitting with it for now a number of weeks. It's built around the idea that there are gonna be times in our lives when it's really hard, not always easy. Who knows, maybe we came in as well, struggling with something, something that makes us a little bit afraid or is causing us to be anxious. So um, that's real life. We're talking about finding the opportunity and the adversities. And one of the things we talk about a lot as well, and, and even now, Lord, we just welcome your grace among us. But one of the things we talk about is this idea of saving faith, you know, and how God wants us to build on that. And saving faith, you know, is something that is like a starting place. This idea that the Lord said in Romans 10, 9, that if we would, um, you know, believe in our heart, you know, confess with our mouth uh, the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. In fact, they can, maybe you guys turn, uh, put up Romans 10, 9. And you get a chance to, to see this, this verse where it really does remind us about what it is to essentially make a faith confession. And that is where, you know, a lot of us, maybe we're, we've done that in our lives. Maybe we're at the point where we're preparing ourselves to do that. But we've, we step forward into it. And this is one of the great, you know, biblical definitions of saving faith. And, but the idea is that the Lord really does want us to build on that. It's not a, it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's meant to develop and mature and grow. So after we start our journey with Jesus, after we welcome into our, him into our hearts, the idea is that he wants us to grow in our faith. And that faith, he wants it to mature and to begin to become a vital faith and a thriving faith and a faith that really is uh, adventurous and creative and uh, highly contagious, right? I mean, that's how the Lord prefers it to be. And then, of course, he wants that faith to then be, grow into always a, a kind of resilient faith. And that resiliency, the ability to negotiate challenging places in our lives, that resiliency is very connected. And this is going to seem paradoxical, but it's connected actually to our dependency. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. All right, this is the one who bears much fruit. For without me, Jesus said, you really can do nothing, not in the area that we're talking about. Nothing is nothing. But the real strength is found in the vine. It's in attachment. It's, and this is, again, here's the paradox. It's about dependency. Resiliency grows in the Christian life the more dependent we become on Jesus. The more independent we are, the less resilient our faith will be. So it's exactly the opposite of what maybe our culture teaches us about what real strength looks like. The way of the Lord is a way of learning how to live in humility. And it brings forth its gift of life. Now, one of the key ways that the Lord often uses life or allows life to develop us, grow us, is through things like adversity. That's what often creates the openings for real growth to happen in our lives. We start wrestling with things. We are way more open to God than we would have been. Now, I get it. Not all adversity is the same. That's true. There are different levels of adversity. You know... Some things are, you know, life-altering. Some other things are just like more like hassles. Maybe we had our share of adversity this week. I was thinking about it. Uh, it was about a month or so ago. I was driving to church. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. Right? I had left the house. So it was around 6, uh, 6, it was probably close to 6.10. I'm driving, curling around San Jose Avenue. When there's no traffic that early on a Sunday... San Jose Avenue is actually quite clear. There was, in fact, there was nobody. There was one car coming off the 280 that was going to be merging. So here I am. I'm coming off the uh, little ramp there. I'm kind of like speeding up to merge. And I noticed that there are these lights like parked on the sidewalk. And I almost couldn't figure out what it was, but I was going too fast to really double. All of a sudden, 
it dawns on me that, that as I hear this, and then all of a sudden I see this, these lights shining behind me, pull over, right? I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Like, and he, the officer walks up to me. I rolled down my window, you know, don't get out of your car. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't trying to get out of the car, <laughs> you know? And I go, I go, I remember what I said to him. I go, you got to be kidding me. Like, there's nobody here. There's nobody here. What are you, it's like a speed trap. I go, I like you guys, you know? I mean, I basically like you guys. What are you doing? I go, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on my way to church, right? Which was true. I go, you can't be serious. He goes, well, you were speeding. And I, so I started saying, but, but he goes, I really can't say anything right now. We have a camera on. I said, oh. I said, oh. Oh, this is great. I said, this is just great. You know? I mean, I, I tell him, I go, there's nobody here. What are you, what are you doing? He goes, well, you're space. So he walks past the car, he comes back. He goes, my camera's off now. He said, that's <laughs> what he says. He goes, no, I don't know if I hope I'm going to get anybody in trouble. I don't. But he says, if I were you, I would protest this. I said, what? Yeah, I would protest it. He goes, I think you got a good chance to win. I go, oh, man. I go, you know what that means? I'm going to, like go to City Hall and, and pay money and, and like post like $300 bail or close to it. And just to get in line for a protest, it could be three months down the line. I got to show up on the exact day. I go, oh. I go, and then even if you win, which he goes, which you're telling me I've got a good chance at, I go, I said, then, you know, it's going to take me months before I even get my money back. Oh, come on, son, son. And I go, ah, so I ended up shaking his hand and we ended up, he go, it was a classic moment. Where I, was, I just go, you know what? This is, what a way to start my day, my Sunday. And I had to get my head in a really good place because I was irritated. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Now I was probably, you know, technically guilty, yes. But, <laughs> but, oh, come on, right? So, so I, I kept, and then I would tell myself, I got to get in a good attitude because, you know, I'm, I'm sharing. And I don't feel that great right now. And that reminded me of something that had happened. Oh, it happened. Uh, remember I told you how in 2015, early, I had gone on that medical. Well, that's what prompted this series, really. I had to go on a medical sabbatical. I wasn't doing great. In fact, I, it was probably the first time I, in my life I really felt like I suffered. And it was for a variety of reasons, not just my vocal cord surgery. And I just wasn't doing well. But what, one of the things that happened when the, when the board sent me on that medical sabbatical was, you know, I had a lot of time. And so what I started doing is I actually started uh, doing a lot of just old-fashioned journaling. So I was, I mean, I was very tenacious about writing things down. I was writing out psalms, writing out prayers, sharing my thoughts. I mean, I was meticulous. I was doing it all the time. I, in fact, I, 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 I like this journal, for one thing, because... I picked it out. I remember this is one because I like the title of it. Everything's gonna be okay. I I, I took that as a promise. So I I, I liked it, and I also liked the way that it opened up. You know, not all journals are the same. Some of them, when you open them up, they, they, the pages are like kind of bulky. But this one lied flat, and so I really liked it. And I was writing on it, and and I was trying to write things in pencil and very meticulous, and just you know putting my entries in. But I was very serious about it during this time. I was working out a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my pain. A lot of my prayers, a lot of my soul was going into the, these journals. And this one in particular, I remember we were on an airplane flight. 
my wife and I, I was on an aisle. Uh, she was by the window. There was actually, it was a lighter flight, so there was an opening in the middle. And I remember I was, I was I, you know, those things, I, I pulled the thing down. I had this on there. I was writing meticulously, thinking, praying, writing, right? And all of a sudden, you know how the, the attendant comes down the, the aisles when they start passing out the beverages, which is great. And so, you know, she gets to us and she says, hey, what would you like? And Cheryl says, oh, you know, I'll have a glass of water. And then I said, you know, I'll have a ginger ale. And then she said to me, uh, would you like a, a cup or a can? I said, oh, you know, I'll have a can, right? So I was happy, got extra, extra. I was feeling pretty good. And so I go back to writing, right? And so I'm writing and getting ready for my, my ginger ale and all that. And then she, she starts to hand uh, the, the water to my wife and she... She slips, and all of a sudden, it just spills all over my, my journal. And I remember just looking at it like, <laughs> and I looked at Cheryl like, and I could see it seeping in, right, to it. It was like, oh, man, oh, man, oh. And so, and then I go, I already had visions, like visions of what was going to happen, how it was going to dry and then curl up, like, which is what it did. And so... You know, so we start, so I'm dabbing away, and she's, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I go, uh, yeah, you know, I go, oh. You know, and then my wife, so after, the, we, I dry it up as best as I can. I put it to the side, and she's passed us by. And my wife says, you know, you really had a bad attitude. I said, can I get a little sympathy here, you know? I mean, my, thing, my journal's ruined. Right? So we start going back and forth on this. She says, yeah, but you threw your, you had to go, <sighs> right? She says, you were, <sighs> she says, and then you threw your hands up, right? I go, I did? She says, yeah, you threw your hands up like, oh, right? So I go, well, you know, I mean, I like my journal. I mean, I like my journal, and, and it's ruined. So about five minutes later, she She's, she says, do you want some food? And says, we brought something. She has a little bag. We packed our lunch. And uh, so, because they don't give you any free meals anymore, but that's another story. All right. So then she pulls out a Trader Joe's salad. It's a beet salad, right? So I go, okay. And she's, she starts opening it up, and I'm watching her. From, she starts opening it up, and she gets to that little plastic container that has the beets in it, the red beets. And all of a sudden, she flips open the top, and then it just squirts out <laughs> on her, right? All on her. It was like a creamy white shirt she was wearing. And so it looked like someone took red paint and went, <laughs> And when I saw it, I went, I said, do you want any napkins? And inside I was saying, justice has been served. Justice has been served. <laughs> and, 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 and uh, you know, that's what you get. I didn't say that, but that's what you get. So, you know, she ended up, actually, she had a way better attitude than I did. She actually ended up clean. I was shocked. I go, there's no way that's coming out inside. But it did. She was tenacious and she got it out of there eventually. And, and uh, we were laughing about it. I wrote it down. I actually remembered it vividly. And I, I, I wrote it down because I go, oh, I'm just going to remember this moment. But those are like, you know, ticket, uh, you know, a stained shirt on, on a nice piece of clothing. Uh, someone ruins your exquisite journal, you know. I mean, these things, these things can affect your day, right? They, 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 may, give, they may make it, ah, it wasn't a great day for me. Those are like minor hassles in life. They, they bother us, they're irritating. That's not the same thing 
as significant adversity that becomes a long, a long swath of something that we're having to deal with in our lives or something that's really profound, profoundly difficult or hard that we're having to work through, that we're afraid of, that we're struggling with. And those type of things alter the landscapes of our life. No different than like when an earthquake hits, it changes, if it's a big one, it'll change, it shifts the very nature of the land itself. A forest fire, when it hits, if it's big enough, it alters the terrain dramatically for years. Stuff like that happens in our lives sometimes. And when it does, you know, we're not the same person coming out of it that we are going into it. Now, some of us may be walking through some of this right now. We might be experiencing a very difficult place of adversity. Uh, you know, some things, again, when I think about, I was thinking about the Bible and some of the examples it has of people who've had to walk through a very difficult, fearful place and how it altered them. And one person uh, in particular stood out to me, at least as I was thinking about it. It's an Old Testament figure about a man named Jacob. And Jacob, um, his story, his account is recorded in the book of Genesis. And I put this in your handout there. You can see it, Genesis 32. Uh, it says, and I'm just going to read the, the first opening verses there. It says that he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Uh, this, how he got his two wives and concubines is quite a story. Uh, by the way, it was a very different culture than ours, so try not to judge it in that direction. But that, but that only actually explains a part of what, how that happens in his life. I mean, he, his uncle Laban really worked him over good. He, he, but that's a whole other study and story. But it says in verse 23 that Jacob took them, his family, sent them over the brook to the other side, sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone in this ravine right by the river, the riverbed. Now, to appreciate what we're reading um, the reason he's in this position is because he's, he's very afraid. He's about to have, after nearly 20 years, a reunion with his brother Esau. The last time Esau saw him, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob had run for his life. Now, the, the reason that happened was because a series of events. Now, Jacob's family, I think a lot of us know, if you study the Bible and you read the book of Genesis, you realize that then Jacob had a highly dysfunctional family. Jacob was his mother's clear favorite. Esau, his brother, was his dad's clear favorite. And they were very overt in their favoritism. And it created a, an environment of manipulation and intrigue and uh, bottom line is that Isaac is getting older. He's the father, Isaac, the son of Abraham, the one who was given the blessing, who's going to give it down to one of his two sons. Isaac has it in his mind, I'm giving it to Esau. Clearly, he's the son I love the most. He's the physical one. He's kind of a hunter. The Bible says in a unique description, he's very hairy. And it also says that he loved to create a special meal for his father. He would hunt and then he would put it into kind of a stew. And his father just loved it. He just loved everything about Esau. He even loved his smell. He's describing him. He was a kind of an outdoorsy person. He just, Esau was by far and away Isaac's favorite. But Isaac is getting older. His eyesight's getting bad. He knows that he's also getting near death, which means he's going to give the blessing. The blessing that was given to him from his father Abraham to now the descendant of his choice. And he's going to give it to Esau. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, she's thinking, and she's a plotter. 
And she says, you know what? When Esau goes out to go get, the, to hunt and create and prepare the meal for this blessing ceremony, Jacob, I have a plan that's going to allow you to have the blessing because I want you to have it. So she says, this is what we do. We're going to cook a beautiful meal together. And then I'm going to have you put on animal skin with fur. <laughs> and then since your father can't see, we're going to have you pretend to be Esau. And then you're going to get the blessing. And sure enough, Jacob, he wants to do it. His mom wants to do it. They go and they trick Isaac. He can't see. He goes, who are you? Who are you? You don't sound. And then he says, but he goes, let me, let me touch your skin. And he's feeling, he goes, hmm, okay, Esau, right? <laughs> All right. Harry, Harry is anything. And then he got the meal. And so he gets the blessing from him. And then what happens is Isaac gives this blessing and it's this great blessing. Um, and it's an irrevocable blessing. It's not like you, it's in their day, when you gave the blessing, you didn't give, you didn't take it back. So the minute Jacob gets the blessing, he's got it. But when it says that Isaac, I mean, Esau comes back, in fact, I want to read it. Um, it's in Genesis 27. If you have your Bible app, you can do that, or you can follow along on the screen. That's also possible right there as well. It says this, in Gen this is what happens when Isaac gets back. As soon as Isaac, in verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, um, Esau gets back. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, watch what happens. Esau returned from his hunt. Now Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. And then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can, you can give me your blessing now. And, and, but Isaac asked him, who are you? And Esau replied, well, it's your son. It's your son, father, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble, the Bible says, uncontrollable, when it dawned on him what had happened. And he said, then, then, then who, who just served me wild game? And I have already eaten it. And then I blessed him just before you came. And yes, the, the way it is, that blessing must stand. I don't take it back. And when Esau heard his father's words, he, he let out a loud and bitter cry, Oh, my father! What about me? Bless me too. He begged him. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob's supplanter, grappler, right? Deceiver. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took he has stolen my blessing. First he took my rights as firstborn and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, Father, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? And Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. And then it says, and this powerful man, his hunter, Esau broke down and started weeping. <laughs> and finally, his father Isaac said to him, well, you will live away from the richness of the earth, away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword. You will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, and here's the little blessing, you got like a little one, you will shake his yoke from your neck. That's all I can give you. And it says, as you can, as you can see here in verse 41, from that time on, look at this, Esau 
hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. He's about to die. His days on this earth are not too many. And as soon as he dies, not before, because I'd never do that to him, but as soon as he dies, Jacob is dead. I will kill him. And he meant it. He meant it to such a degree that Rebecca, the mother, says to Jacob, you can't stay here. Because Isaac could die any day, and Esau will kill you. You must leave. Where do I go? you got to go to your uncle's. You go to my brother at Laban's house. Now, 20 years pass. All kinds of stuff happens. You can read about it in the book of Genesis. That's where we pick back up here. Go back to that passage again in your hand out there. You can see it. Now we're coming back to where we were. Watch what happens because the, that's what sets the table. I, he's, um, no, Jacob is totally afraid of what is going to happen. 20 years have passed. He's about ready to meet his brother. He's, he's not sure. Has enough time passed that this man who he knew had the capacity to lose his temper and was ferocious and had at some level homicidal tendencies if, if provoked. What, is, is time healed this relationship enough where he'll let it go? I cannot be sure. I cannot risk. So what Jacob decides to do is he sends a, a group of head with all these gifts, <clears throat> a retinue of people to sort of try to uh, just create a positive initial inter interaction with Esau. And then he, sent, he decides, but I, I can't afford the risk that if Esau does what I think he's capable of doing, I hope he's willing to let it be, but I can't take a chance. So he sends his family across the river to the higher, higher levels and where they're further away. And he spends the night alone in the ravine with the river, river Jabbok. And it's there while he's sleeping with all this stuff on his mind, so afraid, so unsure of what's going to happen, that he has one of the most remarkable things that are, are ever described in Scripture take place. He has this wrestling match all night long, like a fight, a grappling going on. We read about it. Look at what it says. It says this. You can follow along. Then Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, this man touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. So it got dislocated as he wrestled with him. But he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob always wanted the blessing. And so he said to him, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Recognize that name? For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over the Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel have this tradition of not eating the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket because that's of the meal offering, uh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. 
And a little interesting detail. This is fascinating at so many levels. Oftentimes life brings us into situations that scare us to death. Again, maybe some of us are in a place like that now. I don't know. Once again, we need to appreciate Jacob's dilemma, right? He feels extraordinarily vulnerable. He has real legitimate concerns. He's afraid. He's alone. He's sending his family back a ways and part of his team ahead. No doubt he's having a restless night. He's having a hard time sleeping. He's thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I a dead man tomorrow? It's quite possible Jacob initially thought that he was dreaming as well. But he soon realized that he was actually, whether he initially thought he was dreaming or not, he soon realizes he's having this fight, this grappling match with a, an intruder into the camp. It's just a one-on-one -on -one struggle going on. And, and the way the Bible describes it, it's going on all through the night. At a certain point, he's wondering, who was he? What did he want? Why was he here? Is he trying to steal from me? What's going on? At some point, we don't know when, some point during that wrestling and fighting that was going on, Jacob apprehended that this scenario was brought on by God and had something to do with his blessing. He also seems to instinctively, instinctively felt that he must grapple with this man sent from God and not let go until he was given a blessing. So something about what was going on, Jacob understood that it was meant for him to struggle for a blessing. The entire episode is incredible. There's very, there's almost, there is actually nothing like it in all the scripture. It stands on its own in that way. But it has so much meaning. His breakthrough occurs in a fearful place in his life. It's often the fear, in the fearful place when we're most open, by the way, to wrestling with God. Because fearful places, difficult places, scary places, hard places break us down and they reveal our weak zones and our vulnerabilities. They often shine light through the cracks that would have otherwise gone unnoticed. Fearful places are in and of themselves wrestling places. And it's where our faith is challenged and refined. When everything in us wants to give up, run away, and we struggle to hold our lines, we grapple with God's words and promises, and we do everything we can to hold on. Now, up to this point, listen to me, up to this point in Jacob's life, his life basically has been characterized by willfulness and manipulation. I mean, he had it down to an art form. He was good at it. He knew how to manipulate. He had, he had learned. It was just the way he was made. He had struggled with God, and he had struggled with man. And now, at a critical juncture, we see that God is trying to harness him and break him and bless him. So here's some things I want us just to put up and look at as we bring this to his piece of, of finality. One, listen, God will not only meet us in our fearful places, loved ones, he will also struggle with us in our fearful places. That is, he will meet us where we are. Do you see this? God will condescend to us. He will push, he will provoke, he will prod. In Jacob's case, he allowed himself to be apprehended, to be subdued. But listen, he forced Jacob to work. The blessing he would give, yes, but it would come with tremendous effort. It wasn't going to be easy. He was going to, basically the Lord will struggle with us to clarify our heart, to make his blessing our focused desire, to get us out of our fears. That's what he does. And you think about it, because God was wrestling with Jacob in a way. Jacob spent the night wrestling with, with God instead of his fear. It was God's gift. It was his provision at, at, at multiple levels. But here's the second piece. Check this out. 
Out of the wrestling in the fearful place comes a new blessing and a new name. Your name is Israel. Now that was a shift. That care, that what God, you know, and so it will be with us if we just hold on and remember, he will help us. He's trying to help us wrestle with things. And he, we will often find that we will come through with new things. Like there's a season in our life and we'll just struggle with, we'll hold on with God and we'll ask him for the blessing in the midst of all the difficulty, in the midst of the fear that's ahead of us, in the midst of what we don't understand that's happening right now. What happens is all of a sudden we find that the Lord is opening us up to something new, like a new name of source he wants to call over our life, which, rep which represents a life shift in our lives. A new emergence of something that wasn't there before. The fearful wrestling places in that sense when, we, when God is working with us in the hard place. Again, some of us may be there right now. They become actually hopeful places that break us into new ground, new perspectives, new possibilities. But no, not only does God give Jacob a new name, Israel, but he gives him a mark, a mark of grace. What is it? What was it? Remember, he knocks his hip out of the socket. And evidently, for the rest of Jacob's life, he will walk with a limp. It will always be a reminder of this period of his life. It will be a reminder of the new thing that God is doing. It will be a reminder of the grace of God work, working itself through there in the brokenness. The limp becomes a kind of metaphor of dependency, a shift that occurs. When we wrestle through difficult places in our lives with God, it should not catch us off guard or shock us to experience some type of such a thing. Something that is a mechanism of grace at work in our lives that reminds us the way forward is connected to me, not your old self. The old way of independence, the old way of Jacob. No, the blessing is now Israel, but there's a new thing. There's a limitation in your life, but that limitation is designed to remind you that your real strength is not found in your own conniving. It's found in me. Now, that is a very different thing. What's more, when the Lord gives us these blessings in our lives, they're designed for the purposes of others, to bless others. God, grace is given so that we may be a blessing to others. In Jacob's case, he ends up... <laughs> He ends up becoming a much better man. He ends up becoming uh, a much better leader in his own household. He ends up becoming also the one who brings forth Messiah. Jesus comes from the line of Jacob. And the blesser, the one who blesses the world. When we come out of these places of struggle in our lives, do you know what's going to happen? If we just wrestle, look, wrestling with God is not, is learning to grow through these places. When we do that, the person that comes out is much better. It's like we're more capable of blessing others because of what we've walked through. And we, it's sort of like we may not have an external limp. We may have an in internal limp. But it's a reminder of God's grace at work in our life. All right, in your handout, you'll see the daily prayer. 
The daily prayer is designed really, this is something we just did for the series. It was really meant to follow up each message just for this series and to have a way of being able to connect in our prayer time, just in a small way with what we shared on the weekend. And this is what we will pray. Lord, I have things, maybe we do, maybe we do. If, you, if, this, if we relate to this, then connect to it. Lord, I have things of which I am afraid. Are there any? Some of which I'm wrestling with right now. You know what they are and you know how they trouble and afflict me. I need your grace. I really do. I thank you that in these places of struggle, you not only meet me where I am, but you also work with me. You struggle with me until I learn how to prevail. God, please show me the way forward. Break me into new ground. Open up new possibilities and mark my life with your goodness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.